This morning, I'd like for us to begin immediately by reading the Word of the Lord. It is the passage, it is our lectionary text from the Gospel this morning. I'd invite you to stand if you would. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 25. It's one of the longer parables that Jesus reads, but you're welcome to follow along there in the uh, Bibles that you have in the seats in front of you, or maybe on your phone, or maybe one that you brought. But I'll be reading from the version that's on the screen. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness." The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold uh, came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid... And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has been given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God, we come before you this morning reading stories that cause us to ponder. God, we also recognize in our ponderings and our thinking, God, you are trying to communicate. You are trying to maybe sharpen us this morning, maybe guide and direct us. And so we welcome your Holy Spirit to do its work. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. At the end of my high school career, I grew up enjoying, I, I, I have uh, probably shared a couple of times over the years that I grew up playing baseball uh, and football, but for this portion of uh, the story this morning, I grew up playing baseball. I grew up playing catcher because quite frankly, when you're eight years old, uh, the catcher's position is one that uh, you just can't hurt the team very much. Uh, if, you, if you don't catch the ball, it goes to the backstop, and you go back there and pick it up and throw it back to the pitcher, and I did that a lot uh, because I was not able to catch the ball very well. Uh, but I grew into the position, and I enjoyed it, and, uh, and I want to be very clear, I was not headed to play Major League Baseball. Uh, no big scouts were coming to see Hayden High School in Alabama uh, to see Daniel Metters. That was not happening. Uh, but I did get a chance and, and had some folks that wanted me to play a little bit after high school, and so I had a chance to go up and try out with a couple of folks. There was one tryout I went to, uh, playing catcher. I, I remember we were doing 
doing an inter-squad game. And in that inter-squad game, uh, I was the catcher for one side, and then their starting catcher was the catcher for the other team. Uh, and so I was uh, out there playing, and, and one of their better pitchers, a guy that I was told had turned down some, some uh, greater offers to bigger schools, was there pitching. And uh, there was a very simple uh, system for calling pitches, and so I was sitting behind the plate. And, and if you can imagine, if you were standing out in the field looking back, and I was the catcher here where the pulpit is, there's a, obviously a fence behind where the home plate is, and, and the coach was sitting back against the fence, and he's just watching everything leaned up on the fence, you know, just kind of watching things go down. And I, I go out there and recognize, you know, it takes a minute to get the timing of a new pitcher and to make sure. I mean, it's not a lot of difference, but it's just a little bit of an adjustment. And I had been catching for a little bit, and I can remember his fastball was pretty fast, but it wasn't any more than I'd caught in some other scenarios. Um, some of his other stuff wasn't that much. And then I finally called. We had a, a batter who was up, and I called for a breaking ball. And if you know what a breaking ball is, it is intended to be one that comes flying straight towards the plate or in another direction around the plate, but ultimately it dives. That's what it does. It's spinning very, very fast with a top spin. It gets to you and just dives. And so I call for a breaking ball, and I can remember when that ball came at me, and I, I saw his hand coming out and knew this guy's, you know, he's, he's throwing the breaking ball, and I was used to catching breaking balls. And so, like, I'm adjusting to catch it. And, folks, when this ball got to me, in baseball terminology, we like to use this phrase, it fell off the table. That means it didn't, like, slowly, woo do this and then fall, okay? That means it was coming at me as if it had brakes of its own. It stopped and dropped. You know what I mean? Like, could not. I'm going to tell you, when that thing hit the ground, it was not just a little bit away from me. Folks, I didn't get anywhere near touching it. No part of my glove hit that breaking ball. It hit the ground and went flying back to the backstop. Well, when it went back to the backstop, guess who's still standing there? Guess where the ball stops? So I have to go see this coach that I'm trying to impress, you know, to be able to be a, have a spot on the team. And I walk over there and pick it up, and I look up at him, and I said, that's not a high school breaking ball, is it, coach? He goes, no, sir, it is not. <laughs> Sends me right back out there. I remember thinking, and I got a chance to play with some athletes that were at an absolutely different level. Have you ever, have you ever played sports around people that were just another level? You know what I mean? Like, just different. I played in a pickup basketball game in, in Nashville, Tennessee. It was a church league basketball game in which I watched these two guys in front of me playing basketball. They were on the team that was playing right ahead of mine. And these guys were, and you could see there's one real big guy and one little guy, but they knew each other well, apparently. You could just tell by the way the chemistry worked. And the big guy was out shooting threes like crazy. He looked like he's probably 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He's draining three-pointers. And then the little guy gets a breakaway. And then the big guy who'd been shooting threes was behind him. And they run down to the other into the court, and the guy who's about to do a layup does not do a layup. He bounces the ball off the backboard, and the 6'5 guy's coming in with two hands, and I mean just cracks on that rim, dunking in a church basketball game. You know what I mean? Like, this is like church pickup basketball going on. This guy's, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so when they left, this is Nashville probably 20 years ago, and when they left and went out, and they, uh, they had a couple of folks I, I thought I recognized. I remember when he walked out the door, somebody sat down beside me, and they were like, dude, Drew Bennett's good, isn't he? And I said, huh? They're like, Drew Bennett, the guy from the Titans? That's the guy that was dunking in the game before you. Like, that was Drew Bennett playing in a church basketball league? And I remember, like, he tweaked his ankle while he was playing there. On the 10 o'clock news that night, it hits the news that a Tennessee Titans receiver has twisted his ankle playing church basketball, which is against their contract to be playing sports outside of it. I'm just telling you, folks, when you see somebody who is a D1 athlete, they are different 
Okay, not the D1 of today. Now we've made everything D1. I think my alma mater, Treveca, is practically D1. That's not what I'm talking about. If you play at a major university, you're a different animal. You know what I mean? Like Bo Jackson, if you ever watched him play sports, not like everybody else. You need to look no further than to understand this. Even though you have heard the phrase before, we're all equal. Somebody lied to you. Okay, we are not equal. Okay, we're not. So like, get, now let me say it this way. Does God love us all equal? Yeah, I'm going along with that. But we're not equal, okay? If you think we're equal, then equal, then go out and play something against someone else who's clearly superior to you. If you think we're equal, then come up here and grab one of these microphones and help us lead worship. Not many people signing up for that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not the way it works. It's just not the way the system that we live in works. And so one of the first things when you read about this passage is you read that one servant was given five, one two, and one one. And why were they given different amounts? It was according to what? Anybody remember the word? To their ability. It was according to their ability. Folks, if we're going to spend time in this passage this morning, one of the first things that you need to make some serious peace with is, we are not all created the same. Okay? We're just not. And some of you are like, yeah, you know, I, I get that, Pastor. Like, I get that we're not created the same. Like, you know, let's move on to, to, to portion number two. I mean, like, it doesn't seem like a very groundbreaking thing. And, and I hear you, but like, I need you, to, I need you to hear me say this very clearly and, and then tell you about a, a potential problem I see. We are not created equally. We have been given different things. And, and to make peace with that at a core level can revolutionize how... I think the right word I want to use is how successful you are at this life in using what God gave you. You have to acknowledge. But the problem is, before you can ever move on and ask further questions about this, like making peace with like God created us in a certain way. He created you and gave you certain things. And you think like, okay, let's move on to the next one. But the problem is, folks, I'm convinced that, that a majority or a large number, that a large number of us, we have a saboteur in our midst that is keeping us from, from the fullness of what it means to recognize that we are not created equally. I, I listened to a, a sermon years ago. As a matter of fact, it's the only sermon that I had continued to listen to time and time again. I'm not one of those that goes back and re-listens very often. I don't read the same books over and over very often. I probably should do that. But there was a guy by the name of Reggie McNeil that spoke at a large conference I was at years ago. We're talking 20 years ago, and I still remember his sermon. And one of the things he was talking about, he comes from a church leadership background, and he talks about things to prepare you as you're in church, and, and, and he was talking to a large group of people that were both uh, practitioners or pastors, those who were laity within the church, but across the board something to be looking for, and the things to be aware of. And, and one of the things that he was talking about was recognizing the different types of people that were in a congregation, and the ones that can, can present congregational problem or, or congregational hiccups, if you will. One of the things he talked about, he said, you know, be very careful when you're, when you're interacting within your congregation to recognize that some people, and I know this seems like we're speaking, but it's just speaking the truth about the nature of large, some people are just complainy people. You ever work with somebody who's complainy? 
You know what I mean? Like always something to kind of whine or complain about those. He said, you have to recognize those people and understand that like they're worried or they're, they're complaining about the things that are, that are maybe not there. They're going to see the things that are not happening. They're going to see the things that, that they think need to be. And it's, it's going to be continually coming across and it's going to be continual conversations with them are going to be some sort of complaint. He was just saying, prepare yourself for that because like that's part of the nature of working with large groups of people. And he continued on to start talking about another group of people. And he said, and there's another group of people out there that are more like warriors. Warriors may not see that there's something to complain about right now, but they spend their time concerned about what might happen. I mean, they're looking into the future and they're, and they're being concerned. And so he, he comes down this list of talking about different types of people and, and, and the, the recognizing and how to work with and how to minister to and minister with all those things. But then he changes his, to, his tone and he starts talking about, he said, but be very careful because in your times in church, there will be a saboteur. There will be someone who is bent, and there may be several someones in your years of ministry and years of growth, but there will be a saboteur. And he said, now you need to be very careful in identifying the saboteur. And I thought this was appropriate for both the church life and also the, uh, the business life. Sometimes because of a personal difference or a personal change of, of maybe opinion or philosophy, you may label someone who is a saboteur, and they're not really, they're not trying to take you out, okay? A saboteur is someone who's trying to destroy the, the machine, essentially. They might be a saboteur, so be careful not to over-label someone that just disagrees with you at some moment or has some differing of opinion. That, it does not mean they're a saboteur, he said, but when you define that there is someone out there that at every turn is working to destroy your leadership, working to undermine what you're doing at every turn, tearing you down to the other people within the organization, the one that it doesn't matter what happens, you are the one who calls the problem. You need to be able to acknowledge that saboteur and recognize that that person is not a complainer. They are not a warrior and they are not a pessimist. That saboteur is like a cancer, he says, and a cancer must be cut out. You cannot allow it to destroy the rest of the body. And he goes into this very serious, very difficult conversation about it. it is a saboteur is someone who no matter what you try to accomplish, the saboteur will always work to destroy and to tear down and to keep the body from becoming what it could be. And so with a meticulous knife and maybe with a radiation like a bomb, you have to go in and remove the saboteur. It'll be one of the hardest things you do, but you have to remove the saboteur. And I need to go back and circle back to you this morning and say that some of you are... You are living with and you are living around a saboteur on a constant basis. And it's keeping you from recognizing that God created you specifically and gifted you specifically. Folks, the, the saboteur is someone that you see every day. The saboteur is someone that you talk to every day. The saboteur is someone that you do life with. And unfortunately for many of you, the saboteur is the one you see in the mirror when you wake up. Okay? Some of you are sabotaging your own life and you want to know how you sabotage your own recognizing that God has given you specific gifts. You want to know how, how like you may be a 5-2 or a 1 or whatever. You want to know what the, what the saboteur in you is doing? If you were given one, the saboteur that I see time and time again is wondering and spending time asking questions about why I didn't get two. And the saboteur who gets two is the one who's looking in the mirror and wondering why they didn't get five. And they're incredibly unhappy with whatever it is that they've been given. Because as I said, and it seems so early to say, and so easy to say earlier, as I said, you have to make peace with the fact that you were created maybe a five, maybe a two, maybe a one. You have to get past the fact of caring whether or not somebody else is a five, a two, or a one. 
Okay? You can't be worried about it. You know what? When I played basketball against Drew Bennett, okay, he never dunked on me. He dunked on my buddy Chris. Matter of fact, if you went to Hope Presbyterian and you were at Momentum last weekend, the youth pastor who was there, Chris Johnson, running around, I know he told the story to a couple of them because I heard people talking about it. Chris went up and blocked one of his shots and gave him one of them like bow-up looks at him. Okay? Drew Bennett came back down and dunked on his head the next time to court. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely dunked on him. Like, don't you forget who's bigger and stronger and faster. All those sorts of things, right? Folks, if you spend your time wishing you were Drew Bennett, you will never use your two to accomplish what God is wanting you to accomplish. So hear me say again, make peace with the fact that we are not created the same. Spend less time worried about how somebody else was gifted and not you. And I, sometimes we're guilty of saying, man, I'm a one, and like, I feel like I'm a one. That's another part of the whole other psychological conversation to have at a later date. But sometimes we feel like a one and we think somebody else is a two. But sometimes God gave us these specific two, and we would rather have those specific two. How many of you wish you could sing like Miss Stephanie? You know, how many of you wish you could play an instrument like Jace or Miss Ginger or Miss Pam or the twins? How many of you have y'all heard these girls play when they're doing? I'm not trying to knock our praise and worship music, but I'm going to tell you what: we are not stretching their um, uh, musical abilities by having them play up here. Okay, go to an event where these two ladies play classical music or where they play more intricate pieces. Folks, they're incredible. You know what I mean? Like they do very, very well. I know some of us wish we could do these sorts of things and maybe we have been given to, but we wish we had these two. You know what I mean? Like that's the, 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 the dilemma that we find ourselves in. And so if we're ever going to be able to move past the first portion of this message, you've got to make peace with the fact that you were given a specific skill set. You were given a very specific thing then you can move into the next part of this conversation. So let's, let's do that. Let's ask a question for you now. We've made peace with the fact that we were not all given the same, okay? So let's ask the next question in this and say, what are you doing with the gifts God gave you? You know? And, and I know like you can't just perfect everything, okay? God's given some of the different gifts and talents or maybe even you know, things that we enjoy doing, whatever it may be, but... What are, what are you doing with what, what God gave you? I mean, one of these, the realities of this passage is that God's rewarding those who use what He gave them and made them greater or better, increased them. I mean, like, what, a, what a beautiful call to us to say, like, you, you need to take seriously the things that God has given you and, and work at the craft. I mean, the, the story of gold, we can revert this to money if we want, but we understand this picture is a lot bigger than just a financial resource. What, what if God gave you a gift to do, to do something? Work at it to make it better. You have, you have an, an ability to understand a trade. Be good at that trade. Be the best at it. God gave you a passion and maybe you've decided to work within small groups. I'll use that for a great example. You're a Sunday school class teacher or you're one who is uh, doing small groups on Wednesday nights or on Sunday mornings with kids or whatever that may be. It's not just that I'm here, but like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to work to be the best at this. You know what I mean? I'm going to engage this and be good at what I do, whether that is ministry or whether that is in my, in my personal or my professional career. I, I want to use what God gave me. 
See, but the threat in doing those things, and this is the kind of the next challenge that you have, when you start moving forward and, and trying to use what God gave you, I want to illustrate this with the last individual. Look back in your story for a moment. The guy who was given one, what kept him from using the one to increase it and to, and to uh, uh, bring about more to be able to return? What kept him from doing that? Fear, exactly right. What a beautiful and very realistic. Like you may be given this, this thing, and I want to use it for God, but you want to know what crushes more people? It is the, the fear that this may not go well. You know what I mean? Fear this may not work out right. It's the fear that I may not be, be as good at it, or, or you know, we'll go back to the comparison that we did a good job of tearing apart earlier. We're afraid we're not as good as another two that we see. You know what I mean? But like, fear is a, is a defining factor that keeps us from, from using what God has given us. There's another threat, and it, it, it's probably best illustrated this way. Years ago, uh, friends of mine and I were headed uh, on a trip to Colorado, and we had a bunch of backpacking gear all sorts of things. We were taking my truck and we were leaving from the Memphis area. Many of you know that before moving here, I lived outside of Memphis. And the three of us, matter of fact, fun uh, kind of connection, Chris, the same guy I'm talking about from uh, Drew Bennett dunking on him, was on this trip as well. And so Chris and I and another buddy Jeff are leaving. And, and we put everything in the back of the truck and all of our big totes and things were in the back of the truck and they were all below the bed line. And we leave and we're, we're driving out. If you know anything about going west out of Memphis, you have to cross over the Mississippi River. And if you've ever crossed over that, you know know that sometimes either north or southern winds, when you come out from behind those buildings behind the pyramid, it's like a wall hits you all of a sudden, like a big wall blows across. And I remember we were driving uh, westbound, heading towards West Memphis and then heading towards Colorado. And as soon as we kind of came past all the trees and got out in the open, you felt the wind hit. And I can remember catching something out of the rearview mirror. And I looked up and this large tote got sucked up out of the truck. It wasn't sitting on top, folks. It was below the line of the bed, sucked up out of the truck and lands on the interstate. It lands upright, but it's going about 74 miles an hour. So it's going to doing the skittering, going down the interstate. We're in the left-hand lane and we're on the middle of that bridge. And I'm being like, oh no, whose box was that? And Jeff in the back's like, oh man, that was mine. And so like, we're driving off the interstate. Well, you can't just turn around on that bridge. You know what I mean? You have to go into West Memphis, find an exit, turn around and come back, go back to downtown, find a way to get back on the interstate and then come back. And the whole time we're like, what are we going to do? And I was like, all right, guys, I'm going to throw my flashers on. I'm going put to put my brakes on. I'm going to start slowing down traffic. And when I stop, like mad dash, grab that box and throw it back in the truck. You know what I mean? Like we need to get out of here. This is a bad, bad deal. And so we turn around on the interstate. We go back across. We see the box over the median. We're like, okay, it's there. We're good. We turn around again. We're coming back. And as we're driving towards it, there is a car about 200 yards in front of us that is apparently looking at its phone or something. And it hit that blue tote going 75 miles an hour. And let me tell you, a little blue tote is no match for a car going 75 miles an hour. That blue tote looked like a bomb went off. Stuff was going everywhere. The sleeping bag, if you're a backpacker, a goose down sleeping bag comes unrolled and is caught in the wind. Now it's higher than the trucks flying across lanes of traffic off the bridge into the Mississippi. Okay? We watch all this happen a few hundred yards in front of us. There's now debris. We were, if we were one more car in front of us, we would have been fine. We could have gotten the box back. But that one car in front of us hits it. Folks, when we drove through, I didn't hit the brakes. There was no need in stopping. There's stuff in all the lanes. And it was like, we just go through stuff. We're flying. You know, I was like, 
oh, what are we going to do? And we're, of course, we're already like, Jeff's like, oh, that was a $400 sleeping bag, man. He's like, we just bought that thing, you know, and all the other gear. And I'm like, Jeff, what all's in that box? He's like, man, there's a bunch of my food. There's a bunch of this. There's like all things we can replace. But man, that sleeping bag is going to be expensive. So we get into West, West Memphis and my light comes on. It's a tire light. Check pressure. I'm like, oh, gracious. That's what we need. We've already got enough things going wrong. Now we got tire problems. And I pull over into the, into the little gas station. We were going to fill up anyway in West Memphis. And I'm feeling, as soon as I open the truck, you can hear, it ain't a little leak, folks. I've got air going like crazy. I got a little uh, pair of like utility tool in, my back, in the back of my truck. And I carry a plug kit with me wherever I go. So I'm grabbing my plug kit and all my gear and going around over there and look at it. When I look, it looks like an air chuck. You know the things that go in air tools? It looks like a chuck is stuck in my tire blowing air out. And I'm like, hey, guys, this thing's not going last for fuel. We got to go. Like, so I pull up, get to the little place where you pump air into the tire, into the tire, you know, so that I'm not sitting flat by the gas pump. And I get over there and I'm trying to dig this thing out and I'm prying with a pocket knife and I'm prying with a screwdriver and I got the pliers in. And finally I pull out what I thought was going to be a tire chuck. And you want to know what it was? The casing to a 30 alt six rifle cartridge. The brass. Okay. Has no primer. The bullet is gone. Okay. But the powder, and the powder has slung out of it, yeah, mostly, because of centrifugal force, it's still there. And Jeff is walking out of the building, I look, turned, I had just pulled this thing out, and I'm holding it with a pair of pliers, I look over, and I went, Jeff, what caliber gun were you shooting? And he goes, a 30 6 why? I found one of your ammo. I drove through the debris and picked up a live cartridge out of a rifle, a box of shells. It punched through my tire, luckily slung the primer out of it, okay? And so like all I had was a, a piece of brass, still got the piece of brass at my house uh, for storytelling. I should have brought it this morning. But when I, when I look at that thing, I'm going like, oh my, like, dude, this could have been awful. You know, it's not that it would have created a bomb, but like, this is awful, awful. And you want to know what caused all of this? You want to know, like, all of this could have been avoided. The $400 sleeping bag going off the, the bridge, the turning around risking our lives to pick up a box, which is probably stupid now that I look back at it. All of that could have been avoided. And you want to know why it could have been avoided, or better yet, where it could have been avoided? It could have been avoided when we sat boxes in the back of the truck and made the fatal error that every man in this room has made. So don't act holier than thou. And you said these words. I'm sure that's good enough. You ever tied something down and went, oh, yeah, I didn't go anywhere? And you know you used a 15-year-old ratchet strap that is not made to hold butter. You know what I mean? Like, it is re you've done these things before, but you made the statement, it's good enough. Good enough is I'm going to go bury it in the ground and not use it. Understand? Good enough is I'm just going to exist. Right? This puts responsibility back on us as the created to first recognize God may not have given me five, two, one, whatever it was, it may not give me that too. But good enough is not sitting on whatever gifts He's given you and not using them, not making them better, not working at your craft, you know? You read this, this story this morning, and folks, <laughs> the response to those, or better yet, the reaction to those who don't use what God gives them is bad. Go back and read the story again, it's bad. We're not going into that this morning, it's just bad. But to be challenged this morning to say, how am I using what God gave me? How am I, how am I making the gifts He's given me better? How, how am I accepting and am I accepting this morning that He made me in a specific way with a specific skill set? I need to use those. We read in other places, not exactly this story, but we read, we read this to be biblically and theologically correct. How am I using these things to return them back to God? You know? So this morning, I, I think it's a beautiful finish from a story about the parable of gold bags to ask the question, 
How is it that God has blessed me? And if you don't know how God has blessed you, let me tell you, find some people who are the saints in your life and ask them sincerely. I'm trying to figure out what is it that God's gifted me with? And I can tell you the people close to you know. They know. The good people around you, they know what God's given you. And then ask the next question, how am I going to use that? How am I going to work at that in a way that makes God proud? Makes it, grows it, continues it. Maybe that would be a great challenge for us this afternoon. God, we come before you this morning thanking you for gifting each and every one of us. We recognize that we may look even around this sanctuary and see people that have such incredible gifts, and we may feel like they have gifts even better than ours. But God, help us to remove the saboteur mentality of looking at other people and spend our time this morning first acknowledging and thanking you for gifting us, but then God asking you to help us to use the gifts you've given us to the best of our ability to, to improve upon them, to sharpen them, to hone them. But God, to be able to have a, a better return for you. God, as a way to say thank you for entrusting to us. This is what we've done with what you gave us. God, that's our goal this morning. Send us back out into this world to work at our craft. We love you. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And you are dismissed.